talking last Sunday, anything healthy is doing two things. It's growing and it's changing. If I'm not changing, then I'm not alive. Yes or no? There's no two days of the, of the year that my physical body is the same. We're always aging. We're always growing. And we're always changing. Anything alive is changing. So, you know, recently I've really personally uh, gotten into uh, making sure that I'm growing personally as a person. And to grow as a person and even to grow spiritually, the word grow can, can be paralleled with the word change. So see, if you just think of the word grow by itself, you think, well, sure, I'm growing. Well, well quantify that. If you're growing personally, that means you're changing personally. So, ask yourself these questions. What ways have I changed in the last month? See, it gets quiet, right? What ways have you changed in the last six months? What, what things have you added to your life that make you different now than you were a while ago? <laughs> See? Uh, and, and then, you know, then I ask myself, okay, so... so what do I need to change now as I go into my future to be better, to do better, to excel, to, uh, to hone in on the skills that God placed on the inside of me and to give God the best that I can give to him? What do I need to do? And, you know, I personally, I'm always looking for ways to make changes and make adjustments. How many want to grow? How many want to stay just the way you are and never change? Now, you know, with my age, I noticed some things that people that are my age, I turned 60 a couple of weeks ago, and I'm proud of it because I'm going to live a long time. And uh, I'm planning, but you know, I'm planning to be healthy as I age, and I'm planning for all my body parts to work. I'm uh, expecting to be physically active, mentally agile, and so I'm making plans and preparations, and I want to be emotionally well. How many hear me? I want to be mentally astute. How many hear me? So, so I ask myself, what am I doing to make sure that happens? You know, how many know you've got to challenge yourself? You've got to challenge your mind. You have to deal with yourself emotionally. You, I mean, you really got to deal with yourself physically. How many would agree? I mean, man, you've got to put a toehold on your body. Say, wait a minute, son. You're not going to do that, eat that, go there, shut up, quit. Not, not, another, not another helping? No, stop, you know, right? Because, because if you want to grow... If you want to change, if you want to get better, you've really got to ask them hard questions. And, and people, you know what I found? People my age, here's, here's the ideology. Well, I paid the price. I deserve to do what I want to do. I deserve to have the attitude I want to have. I deserve to think what I want to think. I deserve to eat what I want to eat. I deserve to do with my time what I want to do with my time because I've been giving it all away all these years. Now it's my turn. If you have that attitude, you will stop growing. And it's sad to me that in America, we put our older people off in a home somewhere and we don't take advantage of the skills God's given them all over their life. Yes or no? It's another subject for another day. But how many here, we were talking about changing. We're talking about growing. You know, if a child fails to grow, you know, and develop, you know, there's, there's different, there, there are different stages to, to development, even in children. You've got the nurturing stage where children learn to love. You've got the childhood stage where they learn separateness and independence, what's theirs versus what's their brothers or sisters. And, and you know, they learn what they're responsible for, what others are responsible for, and they just learn how to do life. Then when you become an adolescent, you learn 
you learn things. You learn, uh, you learn what you believe as, as opposed to what your parents think and believe. And you learn to be an individual. And you know what? Uh, psychologists say that if children don't go through these, these various stages of growth, you could actually get stuck. And so as an adult, you could have childish behavior as an adult. Huh? How many have ever been around somebody who had a tantrum and you're wondering why they're acting out that way or, or, hey, in our culture, this is big. You go from relationship to relationship to relationship, never get settled in their married, married life, never get settled in a, in a, as a person, never feel loved, nurtured. That's because they missed a stage, right? Then there are people that, that they think your stuff belongs to them and they think you owe them everything you've got. Well, they missed a stage. Now we're meddling, right? Right? And then those that, that miss that adolescent stage, you know what? They, they, they don't even know what they believe. Well, I don't know. I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. You need to know what you believe and why. A lot of children, a lot of when they go into college, they fall away from God because their parents so put their thumb on them, they didn't allow that stage to develop where they could ask, ask the heart, well, why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we pray? Why don't I have sex before I get married? Why don't I drink? Why don't I smoke weed? Why don't I take drugs? Why don't I while my time away? Why do I have to come in before 11 o'clock at night? Why can't I stay out till 2 o'clock in the morning? Right? If you don't let them ask those questions, you say, well, you just do it because I said so. They grow up and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because you told me I couldn't. They missed a stage of development. You know what happens spiritually is the same way. If you miss a stage of development spiritually, it kind of stunts things and keeps you from where you need to be, keeps you from growing, keeps you from maturing. The good news is if you've missed a stage of development, you can catch up. Huh? That's why, you know, psychologists today, particularly in America, because of the broken family, are busy because people have missed the stages of development, the stages of growing, and they're stuck. How many hear me? And spiritually, it's the same way. Listen, you may have been 20 years in the Lord, but you're still a baby, still expecting others to do things for you that you ought to be doing yourself. You might still be sucking the proverbial spiritual bottle when you ought to be spoon-feeding yourself. How many know all of us, our goal should be to be self-feeders? I appreciate all my children that are grown. Now they have, I have grandchildren, four. We're going on 16. But, you know, even my grandchildren, you know, they're growing. We're noticing, you know, they're growing. And, and they're going from sucking the bottle to learning to eat their food to start with. They stick their beans on their head or in their ear or on their nose. But, you know, they're learning. You finally figure it out, you know. Dexterity comes and all that. And you appreciate that, right? Spiritually, did you know you should reach a point that you don't get most of your food from me? All I do, I set a stage. I'm setting a path. We're going that way, and here's why we're going that way. Come and go with me. But you ought to be feeding yourself at home. You know what the stat, sad statistics are? Most believers quit reading. Most adults in America quit reading after they get out of college. We have commencement exercises because it's only a beginning. When you finish your education, it's only a beginning. I got out of Bible school years ago. I got a Master of Divinity degree, but you know what? I'm still gaining, growing, looking, and wanting to improve. I'm self-feeding. Are you self-feeding? 
If you're not self-feeding, then you're stuck somewhere probably and you're not growing. How many hear me? So how many know readings? Him? I don't know how many people have told me. I know I'm meddling. I'll get to my notes, but I got to say it. I don't know how many people have told me in the, past, in, the, uh, in the distant past and recent past, well, I don't do a lot of reading. Well, if you don't do a lot of reading, you're probably not doing a lot of growing. Because when you read, it challenges you. I read four or five books every, I mean, I've got four or five books going at all times. I read sometimes a half a chapter, sometimes a chapter. But you know what? It slaps my jaws. I mean, I go away from that reading place going, man, I read some things this week. It's like, man, I got changing to do. Good grief. You think I'd know all this. I got to change. Because how many know it challenges you? So are you challenging yourself? If not, get after it. Because it's a new day tomorrow. How many hear me? So we ought to be growing. Uh, in this lesson, we're talking about grow. I'm talking to three sets of people. I'm talking to people that may not know the Lord. You may be in the room. You came with a friend. You may be watching online today or sometime in the future. And you don't know the Lord. Well, my heart for you is you understand the principles of growing spiritually and that you apply them to your life that's going to help you and so you may not know the lord this will help you because you kind of know what you can look forward to and the thing that's cool to me is you know a lot of people give up hope on themselves they have problems here problems there and feel like they can't change how many know you can always change if your heart is beating you can always change. If you don't know Jesus, you can make him your savior, the Lord of your life. He can change your life. His word can get inside of you and absolutely revolutionize how you do life. Is that good news? So never, you should never give up on yourself. Then we're talking, I'm talking to people who are new believers here. And you know what? If you're a new believer, well, what do I have to look forward to? I can show you what the stages look like as you grow spiritually. You may be here and you've been saved five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, or like me, 42 years. You know what? And then you find out, am I stuck? Am I progressing? Do I still have some babyish characteristics? Do I still have some childish characteristics in my spiritual life? What do I need to change? So I'll probably, I'll probably aggravate some of you. Is that okay? Because I think sometimes it's worth it. Last week we talked about there are three, there are three stages to spiritual growth. In the Bible, there are, of course, naturally psychologists, they say there are a number. The Bible mentions babyhood, childhood, and adulthood, and we're going to go through those today. We're going to cover babyhood. Is that okay? Nobody likes to think that they're a baby, right? I mean, you wouldn't want somebody to go. I mean, don't you like it when you're having a conversation with somebody? And they say, well, you're just a big baby. Well, what do you want to do, slap? Is that true? So I'm not calling anybody a baby, but challenge yourself. You may have been in the Lord for years, but you got some baby stuff going on, right? Or you're a new believer. This shall show you where you are and what you can look forward to in God. Or maybe you don't know the Lord. This is really going to help you. So have an open mind today. First Peter 2, Peter said this, and I love this. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking as newborn babes. Desire the pure milk of the word. Now he's talking to them spiritually. Uh, that you may grow thereby if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. So he said, he said, you become a baby believer, but then you grow. That's that babyhood stage. Well, how do you grow? Ingesting the word of God, just the simple word of God will help us change how we think, how we reason, how we live our life. And when we change, how many know we grow? That's, that's how it works. First Corinthians 3, I brethren, Paul said, could not speak to you as spiritual people, 
but as to carnal, <coughs> as to babes in Christ. Now he gives another nuance to, to what it looks like to be a baby believer or be, be, or be a, a, in the babyhood stage of spirituality. He says you're carnal. That word carnal, the Greek word for flesh, he's talking about a person that is ruled by their, their, their carnal, their fleshly appetites and their fleshly desires, and it's eroding into their spiritual life. He called the Corinthian people. They had spiritual gifts manifesting. I mean, the Holy Spirit was working in them, but he had to say, you're babies, because your flesh is still ruling you. The habits and the the, uh, the habits that you had before you knew the Lord are encroaching on your life with God. Your body is dominating you. Your emotions are dominating you. Your unrenewed mind is dominating you. That's really what he was saying here. He said, I fed you with milk, verse 2, not with solid food, for until now you're not able to receive it. Even now you're still not able. He just got all over him, didn't he? For, he said, you're still carnal, body ruled. For where there's envy, strife, and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So people that we know, if we, and we ourselves, if I'm a believer and I gossip and I divide people and I talk about people behind their back and, and it's easy to hurt my feelings, I've got to go around with a proverbial chip on my shoulder and it's easy to knock it off and you have to walk on eggshells around me, guess what? I'm not a spiritual person. I'm a carnal body-ruled person. That goes over real big, doesn't it? How many know it's true? You know, a little baby, you don't give them what they want, just like we saw on the video. And you know, big babies still go, when they don't get their way or things are going the way they don't think they should, you know, they have that way of responding. So he said, envy, strife, and divisions bespeak the babyhood stage. How many want to grow? Wow, that's a challenge, isn't it? Are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? Then he said, for one says, I'm of Paul, another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal or, or flesh root? Now, now can, can, can I say this? So anytime that I'm not here as pastor preaching, and you make a decision, Pastor Mitch's not there, I'm not going to church today, because a staff member's speaking. Or we got another person that I don't know them. I'm not going because, Pat, did you know that's carnal? Did you know that's babyhood stuff? That's what he said. Is that right? A mature believer says, I'm not of this person. I'm not of that person. Doesn't matter who's speaking. If the Holy Spirit's using them, I can listen. Balaam listened to a donkey. And there might be somebody you listen to sometime and you think, I don't like that person. You can get something, but it takes maturity and growth. Is that true? Anyway, just thought I'd add that. That was all free. Here are five, four characteristics of babies that we can apply to our spiritual life. So here they are. Four characteristics, fill in the blanks, of babies to apply to your spiritual growth. Number one, babies need a lot of help. How many agree with that? A baby can't do anything on their own. I love our little grandbabies because you get to hold them and look at them. And, you know, finally their personalities come out. They start smiling at you, cooing at you, and then making noises. I just love, I think it's just the coolest. But you got to do everything for them. You got to feed them. You got, and all they need know to do is complain with that don't have what they need so when they're sleepy they cry right when 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 they uh when they're hungry they cry 
when they have a poopy diaper, they cry, you know. Uh, when they're just not satisfied in some way, they just cry. And you've got to find a way to console them. Well, you know, let me see what I need to do. That's a baby. And, you know, that's normal for a baby. And uh, so, so how many know a spiritual infant when we're in the babyhood state of, stage of being a believer? We need a lot of help. We need people to talk to us. We need people to help us. We need people to guide us. We need people to direct us and just help us. Because, you know, God wants us to be ministered to. And to start with, we don't know which direction to go. That's why, how many know we all need a pastor? We all need friends. We need people that are seasoned in the Lord that can help us. How many hear what I'm saying? The problem is a lot of people, as they grow spiritually, they still want other people to coddle them, to hold them, to take time with them when they ought to be doing some things on their own, right? So, so here's a really important thing for a new believer. You know, give new believers a lot of space and a lot of grace. How many know we're not supposed to have judgments against other people anyway? Is that true? So, you know, some, listen, can I, get, can I just be real? Somebody may come in with a smell of smoke. Do you judge that person? They come, somebody been smoking. Hey, hey, Lou Ann, somebody been smoking, smoking. Well, do you judge them? They might have just come to the Lord and God hadn't cleansed that out of their life yet. Is that true? Huh? Or you may see other habits. I mean, you know, when I came to the Lord, I listened. I cursed like a sailor. I had to get over that, right? The Holy, it was quick. I mean, the Holy Spirit did a thorough work in me with that. But, I mean, I had to get over. I smoked when I came to the Lord. I had habits. I had habits I'm ashamed of in my life. And, you know, it didn't happen overnight. I judged people. I gossiped. I said things I shouldn't say. And, and little bit by little bit, the Lord worked in me. How many know you got to give other people a lot of space and grace to grow? People that are mature in the Lord, they expect somebody that came to the Lord last week to be as, as nice as they are. Well, it didn't happen with you. Why should we think it's going to happen with them, right? Is that true? This is, I'll never forget this, there's one uh, cassette tape that dates it. Uh, Lester Sumrall used to come to Tulsa when I lived there a lot. And he went to Kenneth Hagin's son's church, Buddy Harrison. He died, you know, many years ago, but he had a church and had all kinds of stuff. And Susan and I attended the church there for a while. And, uh, and Lester Somal would come and speak. And, and I got one of his sermons on, on a cassette. And I listened to y'all, I listened, I bet I listened to that thing for 20 years. I am not, I listened to that tape. I put it in my car when cassette tapes were in vogue. I just listened to that thing. And one a story he told really, um, just really helped me. And he talked about, uh, the, uh, there was a revival in Manila, Philippines in 1950, and there was a big move of God that started with him casting a demon out of a young girl in a prison. And, uh, and it, just, it was the catalyst for a huge revival in the Philippines. They bought a, be, uh, uh, a, a big hangar for, for uh, World War II airplanes. They, they bought that big hangar, turned it into a huge church with thousands of people. And he said they had literally had a revival People were coming to Jesus by score. People were bringing their friends, their relatives, their neighbors to church, and they were getting gloriously saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Just a real move of God. And then some believers, he said, would come up to him and say, Now, now, Pastor, what you going to do? Now, here's a guy. He's a new believer, but he's got three wives. They have polygamy. They practice polygamy. And, uh, and then another person would come up and say, Now, now Pastor, what you going to do? Here's this person that knows the Lord, and, and they still go to the chicken fights. They, they had roosters that would fight on the weekends and they would gamble their money away and wouldn't be able to pay their bills and such. And uh, what are you going to do? That person's still gambling. And say, don't you need to call him down and say something to him? And he, I'll never get, Lester Sumrall said, don't you say a word to them. 
That guy that's got two wives, he might have three, leave him alone. God caught the fish, he's big enough to clean it. I just, man, it really helped me, you know, and I thought, wow, that's different thinking. And so you know what he said after a period of time, these people that uh, practice polygamy, have multiple wives, the men, they come up to him and say, Pastor, I, I got a question. Come up to the pastor's staff. Got a question now. You know, I've got, I've got you know, Mary and, and Sue and, and men and his wives. I hope you're not named Mary or Sue. But. So he's got all these wives. He said, now, now I got something inside telling me that I should just have one. And Lester Summerall, he said, he'd look at him and say, follow that. That's right, follow that. See, they got it themselves from the Holy Spirit. And this person would come up to him and say, you know, I've been going to the, the, to the chicken fights, the rooster fights uh, on the weekends, and I've been gambling. Something's telling me not to do that. He said, follow that. See, it's one thing for us to put spiritual, legalistic demands on people. How many know it's another thing to let them grow themselves? And how many know we need to set, a, a, we need to set a, an atmosphere, an incubation atmosphere here where we all can grow? And we all can change. Not everybody changes as quickly as you did. But you know we all change to the glory of God. Is that true? We're changing from glory to glory. You know, here, I mean, Isaiah said, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. How many know we grow a little bit at a time? So, so how many know we believers, we need to give people a lot of grace and space. Turn around and look at the person beside you and say, I'm giving you lots of grace, lots of space. Look at them on both sides. Say, tell them, I'm giving you grace and space. See, you got to do that, you know. Really, you don't know what people are struggling with. And listen, you don't know how long somebody's been bound by a certain activity in their life. They come to Jesus, it takes a while to get loose. It did with you. So why be such a judger, Right? So I just like that. Give people a lot of grace and space. And then you come to the Lord, and this is a lifelong process. How many know our minds have to change? And, and you know, we have to do something with our physical bodies. I mean, I had so many stupid habits when I came to the Lord. It's like, God, this body's like a beast. It's trying to tell me everything I'm supposed to be doing because I let it run loose for all these years. He said, well, do something with it. And guess what I found? Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, he said this to new believers in Rome. He said, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. King James Version, New King James says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, which means set apart, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He said, do something with your body. Committed to God as a living sacrifice. Now, they were former Jews, that, that, uh, some of them that he was talking to. And the Jews gave Jewish sacrifices, animal sacrifices to the Lord. And those animal sac sacrifices were dead. So they would take their best animal and sacrifice their best cow, their best sheep, their best goats, the best ones, the nicest, biggest, nicest ones they had and gave it to God. And so when he said, Give your body as a living sacrifice. Wow. He's saying, give your body the way you gave that animal. It no longer belongs to you. You gave it away. It was a price. It cost you. You like that animal? You gave it away. Say, give your body away. That's a big deal, isn't it? So when he says, give your body away, he's saying, he's saying don't let your physical appetites rule how you live your life. Give yourself away. Say, God, I, my body wants to do that, but I give that to you as a sacrifice. I'm not going to do it, right? God, I used, to, I used to give burnt offerings, 
Well, God, I'm giving those burnt offerings away. I'm giving my body as a living sacrifice, right? I'm no longer, uh, Lord, by the grace of God, I've helped a lot of people quit smoking here that have come to the Lord. We just, we just cursed the desire in Jesus' name and asked God to make it sick, whereas one time it made them feel good. And they, they quit. I've had a lot of people quit smoking. Whatever it is, whatever the physical appetite. Then he said, then he said uh, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, Romans 12, 2, New Living Translation. But let God transform you into the, a new person by changing the way you think. And see, that's the challenge we all have. Uh, we copy and, and we're like everybody else. We sing the songs they sing. We act the way they act. We dress the way they dress. We do the way they do. And now people, let me, can I just get real? We have a real crass culture in the way we dress right now. Women, clean it up. Men, clean it up. You don't need to be showing your physique to every Tom, Dick, Harry, Jane, Mary, Martha, Lou. You need to clean it up. How many hear me? Huh? Ladies, you ought not to be wearing yoga pants in public. Huh? Give your body away. Give it to Jesus. Cover up. Clean up. Don't be like the world. You know what you're doing? You're saying, men, would you look at my body? I'm pretty. Would you lust? Would you look at the curves of my body and lust? How many know that's sin for a woman to do that? Huh? It's sin for a man to, to wear it so sleek that everybody can see everything he's got. How many know that's sin? Yes or no? We're supposed to be not, not inherit the customs of the world. We're supposed to be different. That don't, doesn't mean you need to dress the way they did in England 400 years ago. It just means you clean it up. Huh? Don't exaggerate and, and, and let the flesh have its day. And, and, and cater towards lust and sensual things. That's where our culture is. That's the reason we're having so many problems with our young. Because the parents are doing it. The kids are doing it too. What's good for the goose is good for the what? Hello. Enough of that. Number two, babies are innocent. They have no past. Everybody say innocence. No shame. No guilt. I love this. No preconceived ideas. Now, my granddaughter, Maela, y'all, if I could show you a picture of her, she can look a hole through your soul. She's got this, can't she, mama? She's got this innocent little face, and she won't take her eyes off you. It's like, man, and she's so innocent. Her eyes will study your face, study you. I thought, and here's what I think. She has no preconceived ideas. Anybody that comes in the room, she just looks. And she has this beautiful smile, toothless smile. Oh, just beautiful, just beautiful. But she has no preconceived ideas. See, that's innocence, right? How many know God wants us to always be innocent? We might be growing, but that's one element of our life we ought to keep innocence, right? Uh, for me, this was a, a really big deal to me. And uh, the good news is you could be as mean as a snake. I mean, just be full of the devil. I mean, like I was as a teenager. I mean, I thought awful things about myself because of what I allowed myself to do because I got around the wrong set of friends. How many know it's not possible to live right if you got the wrong friends? If you're trying to live right with the wrong friends, it is not going to happen, right? So, I mean, you know, you got to figure this out. But, uh, but the good news is you can be just a rascal like I was and you come to Jesus, you have no past. And that was the hardest thing for me to get through. It's like, Really, God, you don't even remember what I did last year or three years ago or five years ago with that person? And I did it umpteen times too, and you saw every minute of it. He said, no, I don't, what'd you talk, what'd you talk about? What'd you say? How many know God doesn't remember your past? Psychologists say that the, um, 
number one devote motivator of human personality is guilt. So if you can absolve the guilt in your life, you can move past where you've been and what you were, and you can be a new person. So it's a, and people spend a lot of money to get rid of big guilt. It won't cost you a dime if you'll let the blood of Jesus cleanse you. How many hear me? And you'll get the word inside you. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. There's therefore now no condemnation, Romans 8, 1, to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I love these two verses, Isaiah 43, 25. I etched them in my brain as a young man. I, even I, am he that blots out your transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember your sins. Isn't that awesome? And then Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west. New Living says he's removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. So how far is the east from the west? If you start moving east, it's infinitum. You never start going west. You're always going east. This is an incalculable distance. That's how far God's removed our sins from us. So anytime the enemy reminds you, and here's what happens, thought association, where, wherever you are, if you are a sinner, wherever you live, and you go to a certain place in the city and you see a certain thing, thought association says, remember what you did by that tree? Remember what you did on that road? Remember what happened in that building? Remember what you did over there? Or you could just smell a smell. Remember that smell? Yeah, yeah, well, forget it. How many hear me? Or you hear a song. It was terrible on me. I worked in a, I worked in a, out in a, a, a public place when I came to the Lord, and they would play all the current songs. And I'd just come to the Lord, and they would play those songs. And as I was rehearsing the song, listening to it, uh, my mind was going back two years, three years, five years. And before I knew it, I was down. But the good news is God forgets your past. We have to forget our past, and we have to say about ourselves what God says. As far as he's concerned, we have none. Yes or no? So that, that innocence of childhood is God gives us as a new babe in Christ. We have no past. How many know we need to keep it lifelong? Number three, babies are hungry. Babies are curious. Is that true? Huh? You got a little baby. Now we got some toddler grandchildren. I know when my kids were young they just toddle all over once they learn to crawl they learn the motor skills of moving those legs and moving those arms and we're crawling around for you know where'd you hey where are you at and they're way over here and, and they picked up a dried noodle off the floor they're picking up a piece of fuzz they're picking up some hair you know picking up a leaf then they're picking up a, a bug and where do they go right in the mouth see babies are innocent they don't know good from bad right and how many know that, that you've got to watch? And they're always hungry, and, and they're always figuring out, well, I can always figure out what this is like by tasting it, right? Well, well that's, see, that's a baby. And spiritually speaking, how many know we need to keep that hunger? A spiritual person that's just come to the Lord, the, a spiritual infant, a spiritual baby in Christ, really one of the first telltale signs is you're, you're just tremendously hungry. I mean, y'all, I, I was so hungry when I first became a believer. We, I mentioned, you know, during the interim between praise and worship that, you know, God wants us to stay hungry. How many know he wants us to be hungry lifelong? Well, that's, that's, that's evidence of a spiritual child. You're just hungry. I ravenously read, read, read. I couldn't get enough of the Bible when I first came to the Lord. But you know what? Honestly, you ought to stay hungry lifelong. You now you know babies eat a lot. They eat frequently when you get older. You don't eat as much. You may not eat as long and as frequently, but you still eat and you're still hungry, right? And a good sign, again, of spiritual growth and maturity is that you're 
hungry. And so, again, uh, babies are hungry. Babies are curious. And so, you know, it's really important for all of us that, that when, when you first come to the Lord, listen to me, you need somebody to ask some questions. That's why I believe every, every believer needs to be established in a local church. They need a pastor. How many hear me? Why? And they need people that they can get around. Be a part of a small group. Get involved in other people's lives. Why are those kinds of things important? They keep us on the straight and narrow. There's so many, so much information out. And it's so easy to get off on the wrong tangent spiritually. And once you get the wrong thing, you ingest the wrong stuff. How many know it's hard to get out of you? I've, I've heard ministers and I've had it happen to me. There's some books I've read I wish I'd have never read them. Because they put something in me that I had to counteract with the Word of God. They had enough truth I started reading, but as I got into it, I thought, that's not true. Wait a minute. That's not true. They say that's true. That's really not the Word. That's not scriptural. But it was so tantalizing and seemed so right. Once I read it, it put enough doubt and unbelief in me that it took me a long time to root it out. Anybody ever had that kind of experience? That's why it's important to have people, have mentors in the Lord, have people that are around you. I had friends when I first came to the Lord. I would ask question after question after question because I just didn't know. Uh, new believers need that, and we all need that. And how many know we need to challenge what we hear? That's really important. You know, there were books that um, I could not read as a, as a young believer uh, that I can read now, theology books I'm talking about, a lot of the, the really good theologians that have studied out the original languages of Scripture and are well-versed in theology, they really have some good things to say. But can I be real? By and large, most of them, they have thrown out the baby with the bathwater, and they've thrown out, you know, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the healing power of God, answered prayer, walking by faith in a lot of ways. And, and the, a lot of them have adapted this ideology, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And I started reading some of these books in Bible college in the 1970s. I'm going, man, why did that guy say that? My pastor saying this, the word says this, but this guy says this. And I, some of those books, I mean, I had to do it for some of my studies. But then later I slay those things down and years later I could pick them back, back up and I could learn to discern between the false and the true and it wouldn't bother me when they said healing's not for today or miracles are not for today. How many hear what I'm talking about? It used to bother me a lot. Now I know enough. I'm so grounded in the word for myself that I don't care what you think. I know what the Bible says. But until you know what the Bible says for yourself, you really got to watch what you read. How many hear me? So if you want to know if a book you're reading is good, come and ask one of us that our season to the Lord been here for a while. How many know it's important to keep your hunger and spiritual curiousness lifelong? So see, I ask myself regularly, am I hungry? Am I sp if I'm not spiritually hungry, as we said earlier, I could be eating the candy of the world. And it's, and it's quenching my hunger that I should have for God. There's a lot of believers today. They've stopped reading their Bible. They've stopped private worship. They've stopped a lot of prayer. Why? Something else has taken its place. So really here, search yourself honestly, y'all. It's a real sign of spiritual help to be hungry for God. And if you're really not hungry, it's a hardened heart. How many hear me? Sin hardens the heart. There's some real problems with sin in the body of Christ today. And it's hindering churches spiritually. It's hindering individuals spiritually. It's hindering our nation. How many hear me? 
So if that's you and you're, you're allowing sin in your life, I don't care what it is, challenge yourself. Ask God to forgive you and cleanse you and ask him to make you hungry again. Can I tell you what I do in my life? If there's some area of my life that has an appetite for what I know is wrong, I say, God, do you see what I want to do? God, would you, would you deal with that desire? I place that desire in your hands. I don't want to be that way. I ask you to take that from me. Do you know he loves you enough to challenge that? Isn't that good? So always make sure you have that spiritual hungry. As I close, how many know babies are self-centered? Oh, yeah. You know, they think of themselves, their needs first. They cry when they're hungry. They cry when they need their diaper changed. They try cry when they're tired. Sometimes they just cry for no reason at all, it seems like. They just cry for attention, you know. That's a baby. And, you know, everything revolves around a baby. Babies are utterly selfish. And you know what? A smart parent won't cater to the self-centered tendencies. At some point, the smart parent says, well, no, we're going to do this. The baby cries, said, no, 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 we're not going to cry. We're going to do this. How many know that's wise and smart? Huh? Uh, even babies, they have a, the sin nature. And that sin nature has, and that sin appetite has to be curbed. And, and one of the large parts of the sin nature is self-centeredness. Now we can, I, I got, I'm closing down, the, closing down right now. We'll start back the next time I talk. But you know, that sin nature manifests even after people become believers because the sepsis, the poison of the sin nature that Jesus sets you free from in your spirit. How many know it? The sepsis, the tentacles of it still remain in your mind, in your emotions, in your willpower, and in your physical body, yes or no? And you've got to say no to him, is that right? And one big part of that is warning your own way. When you're in a crowd of people, it's my way or the highway, or you dominate the conversation, or you make sure everybody knows what you think, why you think, how long you've thought that way, and why you think those other things are wrong. If you've got to have the last word, you probably are still dealing with self-centeredness. Let me take a drink of water. It's getting kind of quiet. Jesus said this, Matthew 16, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross, follow me. Try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. I came across Philip's translation of Mark 8 many years ago, back in the 80s. And it so hit me, I literally, I just had put my Bible down. I, I was quiet, it was in the morning. And I said, God, this is, uh, it just broke me. And, and he said this, Jesus called his disciples, people around him and said to them, Mark 8, 34, anyone wants to follow in my footsteps and here it is he must give up all right to himself that got me you mean I give up my right to be right in the crowd I give up all right to myself my right to do this to do that to think this to go there to be this to have this is not sin no if you want to Jesus said follow in my footsteps give up all right himself take up his cross follow me wow cross is a place where my will and God's will meets and his will wins it's a place where my flesh and God's will meets and God's will wins it's where my appetites and desires meet God and they acquiesce to what he wants right how many know that's a big challenge 
all of us have to deal with self-centeredness. And you know what I found? I don't care how long you've been a believer, the tendency to want to have your own way and make other people upset because you don't like the way they're going, you think they ought to do it your way. How many know it's really strong? How many would agree? See, it gets quiet in this Baptist church. I'm kidding. It gets quiet when I talk about this because we all have to wrestle. I still wrestle with self-centeredness. I mean, if Susan don't do it my way, I, I have 10 reasons why she should. I mean, if she was here, she'd go, that's right. And I have to say, God, deal with me, you know. It used to be, and thank God, by the grace of God, I'm just, my team members, you know, got a staff here, we have meetings. You know, if it didn't go my way, I'd tell them every reason it ought to and, and put everybody in their place so they shut up. I hate to tell you, I used to be that way. And y'all, I thought I was a seasoned believer, but I was really being fleshly and babyish and carnal. Now, you know what I've learned? Okay, I appreciate your opinion. See, if you've put yourself last and put others first, you appreciate, even you disagree, even if you disagree, you can say, thank you, I'll think about that. You might not agree, but you say, thank you. You don't have to get mean and aggravated about it, right? There's a lot to think about it in there. Babies need a lot of help. Babies are, babies are, what, what's the second thing? Babies are hungry. Babies are curious. Babies are innocent. They have no past. Babies are self-centered.